0: Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. It was an action-packed weekend in combat sports, and coming up on today's show, I'm going to tell you about a tweet that Dustin Poirier sent out, and I'll also ask you guys a big question about Aljamain Sterling. But before that, I'll begin today's show with the story that dominated the headlines this weekend. That's in a moment, but first, I want to tell you about one of today's sponsors. Guys, our show sponsor today is from my new favorite cryptocurrency, Marshall Anu. As the first sports-based cryptocurrency, Marshall Anu donates Ethereum, a popular crypto coin, to amateur and professional mixed martial arts athletes, giving them and their team the support they need to pursue their goals. Founded by a team of crypto experts, the code behind the MRI token is published on Etherscan and has been publicly verified and audited by two of the top cryptocurrency auditing firms, Solidity Finance and Certic. For a list of answers and common questions and the Project Light Paper, check out marshallanew.com. I guess Tyson Fury's done. He, he says that he's retiring from boxing and I gotta tell you, you'll never have a bigger fight than your comeback fight. Not your first main event fight, not your first televised fight, not even a title fight. Your biggest fight will be a comeback fight. You cannot have a comeback fight unless you leave first. So we've seen this a million times. And this is coming from the only guy in sports to tell you from Jump Street, Tom Brady is not retiring. They held a parade for Tom Brady. And I came and told you guys, they're all going to look like fools. He will be back and he'll be back next season in all fairness. But there's something about the way that Fury is going out. And there's also something about the way that Fury has lived his life that just reminds me of Khabib. You can just take certain people at their word, right? It's, it's different for them. Their word is their bond type. They, now everybody has the right to change their mind. Khabib could come back. You don't call him a liar. Tyson could come back. You don't call him a liar. Brady did come back. He wasn't lying. Change his mind. So we're just guessing of will he change his mind or not. But right now in this moment, no, I don't think so. I think this is the time where we tell him thank you. And I would love to meet Tyson Fury. He just, I sense he's a regular guy. Do you guys sense that too? I think that's what's special about him. He's got an abnormal superhuman talent, and he's just a regular guy. I mean, bringing that, that young man that was dying to meet him, and not only Tyson meeting the young man in the back, but then having the kid get into the ring, doing the photo op, doing all of those moments, putting his attention for his moment into this kid that was a stranger 24 hours earlier, I mean, that's special. It's a special guy. And Tyson has been very respectful to you, the audience. One day, Tyson Fury wakes up, and he decides the punches are not enough. The championships are not enough. The press conferences are not enough. I owe them more. I want to entertain them longer. I'm so good, and I'm going to stop so many guys. But I don't ever want the Mike Tyson factor to play in for me. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when I say that? Back in the 90s, Mike Tyson gets out of prison, and he knocks out four guys, and he knocks them out, and I mean like this. One of them, right? He did every, he did from Bums, McNeely, but he did it all the way up to Bruce Seldon, who had the championship. He beat up Everett and he beat him up so fast that people quit buying his pay-per-views. It was an actual problem, right? Cause boxing is just main event heavy. We got reminded of that over the weekend. I watched the co-main event. It was painful. I watched it for all 30, oh my God, 36. I do not have the foggiest idea who fought. I don't have the foggiest idea who won, and I watched this whole thing. It was painful. But the point is in boxing, if you can relate to this story, so you're going to have a party, right? You guys get pay-per-views. You know what that's like. You get the pizza. You get the drinks. You get the friends over there. You have a Mike Tyson fight. You have a much longer walkout and post-fight interview than you did a fight. They were all done in the first round. They were all done in less than three minutes. Direct TV, as well as the promotion itself, who at that time was Don King, went out nationally and told the world, Buy this fight. Buy this next fight. We're going to charge a full price, but here's the deal. If Tyson doesn't get out of the first round, we're going to give you half your money back. Okay. Now, that's never been done before or since, but that's what I'm trying to bring for you. It was an actual problem. People could not justify having a party. They couldn't justify setting a night aside. They couldn't justify buying the pizza, getting the drinks, pushing the pay-per-view button to have Mike give them less than three minutes of action. Tyson Fury didn't get guys out of there quite as quick, but he did get a lot of guys out of there. It did bring the night a little bit short and Tyson somewhere along the way decides he's going to start singing to you. As simple as that might sound, it's a big deal. There's a guy in the UFC right now who goes into New York, gets a win and ends up doing a dance that gets broken off and put on sports. Like it changed everything. That dance was worth something. It was a commodity. It was a form of entertainment that we were not expecting. It was a treat. And Tyson Fury has brought forms of entertainment and commodities to you, the audience, as a treat. It's really a very cool thing, which is why I'm pointing this out for you. It's really a very cool thing. Now, Tyson is at a point in his life where he's not losing fights. He's not losing sequences. He's not losing exchanges. He's not losing rounds. He is absolutely dominant. And again, I have to compare that to Khabib. Khabib had a whole lot more. Whole lot of bullets were still left in the chamber. But he said, I like where I'm at. I like what I've done. And this is how I want to be remembered. This is how I want to go out at my best. Not once I don't start to have the choices. Okay. We all have to live with that and accept that. I'm just bringing to you a mere thank you. Thank you to Tyson Fury. Thank you to the whole Fury family. For great memories. For inspiring and for elevating boxing. Now, Tyson says that he's going to go do something with Francis Ngannou. And it's really relevant that we stay on that point. Because if these guys want to get this done, we have to clear up what something is. And there's an expression in business. If you cannot explain it clearly and simply, you don't understand it well enough. And if you go to any bank for any kind of a loan... If you go to a friend for a hard money loan, they're going to want to know what your idea is. If you can't explain it to them simply and clearly, they're not going to give you the money. It's relevant. I follow this close. I don't miss anything Fury does. I don't miss anything Francis does. I don't understand what it is they want to go do. And if it gets hung up on a moniker of exhibition, we are dead in the water. I mean, you are dead in the water for whatever sucker wants to attach his name to the tough guy business and is going to put this money up in the first place. He's really going to have to lower where he comes in if he doesn't understand what it is, not to mention if it has the word exhibition around it. For whatever reason, in America, that's tough. Because it does look as... The, look, I would imagine that Dana probably felt betrayed. He, he probably had his feelings hurt. He would never tell you. He'd probably tell you he was pissed off or he'll tell you he didn't care at all. But he probably was betrayed a little bit. He really was. Francis Ngannou was there. Francis knew he was going. Francis was under contract with Dana. Did Francis' team let Dana know he was going to be there? That he was going to get in the ring for somebody else? That this was going to be broadcast around the world? Because when Francis got in there, the announcers were already queued. Those announcers knew and they knew to sell it. It's very relevant. And I want you to hold that thought, because this is going to go as smoothly as both sides want it to go. I don't know what Francis's contract says in full disclosure, but I know what my contract said. And I know what everybody else that was fighting at the time I was fighting said, because they were boilerplate. You just changed the fee, you changed the execution dates, and you inserted a name. In my case, Chael Son. Other than that, I had what everybody else had. And I only bring that to you because those contracts do not just expire the way the media has led you to believe. The media has led you guys to believe that at the end of this year, I think it's December of this year, Francis is free to go. That's not the contract I had. It could have gone that way if I had people at the UFC who wanted to help me. It could have gone that way. But it could have not if I had people that did it. And this just got tested, guys. This just got tested eight months ago with George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre has not fought since, I believe, 2017. I know I'm close on that date. Could have been 2019. Wanted to go and box Oscar De La Hoya. He could not contractually do it. Now, George was in a different spot. He had fights left on his contract. I understand that. But I can also tell you from the language of the contract that I once had, that I believe, I'm assuming, Francis also has, there for sure is a non-negotiation clause. For sure. Not even a maybe. And going into the ring, premeditated, for a face-off, which is exactly what this was, with the tease and or promise of promoting a future something, combat-related, that would break all to hell, shatter into pieces if anybody wanted to challenge it. It's a very interesting position. Now, Francis has been very polite in this. Francis, frankly, looked great. Tyson Fury, who's facing off with him, had to be nice. Tyson Fury did not want to piss off Francis. It was a great visual. Tyson Fury has an advantage over every single opponent, including the guy over this weekend, which is just size. He's taller than everybody and he weighs more than everybody. That's an advantage. There's a reason we weigh people in. He didn't have that over Fran- Francis is probably going 280 right now. The right way. Looked fantastic. But you know he slowed down. He's not doing the cardio. He's got the knee surgery. So it, w- it was very good. It was very interesting. I still come back to who's going to promote it. I mean, that's a very relevant factor. Even if you get the contracts out of the way everybody says, you know what, to hell with it. Things didn't work out, let's just break up, let's have a clean split. We are going to honor the contract, which we'll takes you to December, and then go do whatever we want. Let's just say we get there. Now, people don't have to do that, particularly when feelings are hurt. And if I was in Dana's shoes, and my guy went on television in somebody else's ring to promote something that I don't participate in, I have a problem with that. I'll tell you right now, I have a problem with that. And if you judge me for having a problem with that or think I'm being selfish, you're the one that's wrong. We signed a deal and we have a deal. I'm going to honor it, but I expected you to honor it. Soon as you didn't honor it, don't expect me to be Mr. Nice Guy. That's fair. Let's say we work all those things through. Who are you going to go to to promote the fight? I think that person's out there. I think Chael is genuinely ignorant on the topic. But who? It's a fair question by me. People that know the business aren't going to do it. You're not going to get Eddie Hearn to do it, just so you understand. Bob Arum's not going to take that risk. Don King's all but out of the business and doesn't have distribution anyway. Oscar De La Hoya is all but out of the business and doesn't have distribution anyway. So you don't have a ton of options. You could look over to Showtime and you could get somebody to do it. You could find a benefactor. But Francis only has a relationship with one promoter, and that's Dana White, who hasn't been asked to participate in this. So Francis is going to have to rely on Tyson to do it, and they're going to do an exhibition in something. If, if if it's something and it's an exhibition and it's not boxing, what's on the line? And if nothing's on the line, why are we here? I can't live with anything on the line. It could be a title. Sure, take it. It could be your record. It could be your legacy. I'll take them. But at a minimum, you're going to have to put up your ego and your prestige and your reputation at a minimum. If we don't have a winner because we don't even have a sport that we're doing because we're making up rules. Those things are missing. Who's going to get behind it? Tough spot. I'm just asking a fair question. I think that those boys, those two, Francis and Tyson, are the ones, they're putting this thing together. They're partnering up on it. And they, somewhere along the way, have decided that it has to be something. They're calling it a hybrid. We're going to do an MMA boxing hybrid. I don't think Francis would mind doing boxing. I think that Tyson's negotiating against himself, and I don't think Tyson's seen this. The All-E Act does not come in. The bidding on it does not come in. If you're not doing boxing, all of the things that Tyson knows where people are going to bid on this and it's going to go to the open market, they're all gone. There's not even a licensed promoter for what this is. This doesn't even have a name. It's called a hyper. I, I don't get it. I think it's got some interesting problems. Now, Francis has been very polite. I must give him that. Francis has been very open and he shared with everybody. He did nothing under the covers here. But Francis went and did an interview, I believe it was with Ariel, but he just did it and he said, the UFC is trying to clear, I think the UFC is trying to clear the air. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that expression means. I think that Francis misspoke, but he said it, he said it twice, that he thinks the UFC is trying to clear the air. We got together, we had dinner, I think they're trying to clear the air. I am willing to work with the UFC and I also want to continue fighting. Whatever happens with Tyson, I want to come back home. I think that this John Jones thing is interesting. This is still Francis talking. I think that a trilogy with Stipe is still on the table. This is Francis talking. I like that. I like that he's being strategic. I like that he's not trying to burn bridges. I think that's smart. But Francis said, whatever we do, if it does not include competing against Tyson Fury, I'm out. I will not do anything. Now, that's tough when you're negotiating. When you're saying you're open, when you're saying you want to come back, when you're saying you want to talk, when you're saying you want to clear the air, but then you say this, the entire thing that's a roadblock, the entire thing that's an issue in the first place absolutely has to stand Now it, it doesn't sound like you're as open. I don't mind that. I don't. I'm not trying to hate on this. I used to. I used to try really hard. I, I don't want to do that. I want to be open to the idea. I'm just trying to think of it very realistically for both guys. Tyson says that he's done boxing. I personally believe him. I think he needs to run that back and perhaps he's done defending championships and perhaps he's done doing competitive things but he wants to do one more and he wants to do it with Francis and Ngannou. I don't think they can survive with the word exhibition. I don't think they can survive with a hybrid and I don't think they can move forward if nothing's on the line including prestige. I think it's an interesting spot. I don't share an opinion. If I sounded negative, I misspoke. I don't mean to. That's what happened over the week and I'm attempting to recap it. So we will have more on Engano and Fury on Friday's show, so make sure you come back for that. Now, coming up next, I want to talk about Dustin Poirier and a tweet he sent out that got the MMA world buzzing. Over the weekend, Dustin Poirier sends out a tweet, and he says, I want to fight. That's all he says. Gilbert Burns writes him back and says, do you want to fight at 170? Okay, now that's an interesting match. I have never considered that match. The only thing I've ever considered for Dustin Poirier at 170 pounds was the Colby Covington call-out, which I did not think Dustin should do on his first time at 170, but I've only considered that. And then the Nate Diaz fight, which has a long history, and they already agreed to fight. It was gonna be Madison Square Garden years ago, and I think the weight was I think they were doing a catch weight of 165. Right, it was one of these things, but that's a big fight, that's a special fight. He's gonna leave the division. Now back up on Poirier. Porre is a 55 pounder. He is, he has never told us he's going 170. He got called out by a 70 pounder and he was willing to make things work with Diaz. Now, there's one more piece of the story. Don't think you need to correct me. Just before Dustin fought for the championship with Charles Oliveira, it was like fight week. It was like three days before out of nowhere. Dustin just says, if I win this fight, I'll never defend it. I'm done with the division. I'm giving the belt up. I'm going to 170. That's the one and only time that Dustin has ever spoken out about actually going to 170. Now, if we're going to hold him to that, if we're going to say a guy that's stressed out of his mind, that's cutting weight and uncomfortable, but if we're going to hold him to his word, his word was, if I win. And I think that that's relevant because I just still think of Dustin as a 55-pounder. I have personally asked him this question. He personally told me, I don't know. That was a meaningful amount of time ago. That was two weeks after his last fight. Just to share a timeline with you. So what do you think of Gilbert Burns versus Dustin? Like, that's really interesting. Dustin did not respond. What do you interpret that to mean? Well, that Dustin's probably thinking about it. Now, before he does that, deep breath. It's very hard to be a bona fide badass like Dustin is. And to get called out on something as big as Twitter and not respond. It's very tough. Puts Dustin in a very tough spot. The absolute best thing that Dustin could do, though, is what he's done so far, and it's only been 48 hours, but do nothing. It's really paramount because it's so hard to do. It's so hard to take a deep breath in this sport. You get Jones in, you get the itch back, you start, you see a couple of big shows, you start thinking about yourself being in there, you have a good training session. There's different things that would lead Dustin to going to Twitter in the first place and saying, I want to fight. There's different things, and I'm sure that I'm close to touching on what happened. But if you rush that moment, right, and for Dustin specifically, I I did not understand how much you guys like Dustin. To attach the word star to Dustin, I've asked you many times, does Dustin Poirier qualify at this point to go into that rare category of a Masvidal, of a McGregor, of a Diaz, where whatever he does is going to be a big deal. Whatever he does is going to be accepted. Dustin said one week ago, I have not spoke to the UFC but I think when Connor comes back, they're going to redo that fight. Now that's a big clue as well because that's likely to be done at 55. We don't have an assurance of that because Dustin could follow Connor to 70, and the only reason we believe it's going to be 55 is Connor wanted everything the same the time that he lost in Nate Diaz. So we believe that Connor would want everything the same when he refights Dustin. So you see, we don't have much information. That's my point, I'm pulling you in this direction with a little bit of a clue and then I'm pulling you in this direction with a quote that a guy made, I'm pulling you over here with a tweet that I read. Here's why I personally believe Dustin needs to keep training, keep that hunger and take those oars out of the water for a minute, okay? If Dustin's to go to 170, there are very special fights such as the two that I just named, McGregor, Nate Diaz, very special and fun and interesting fights. Gilbert Burns is a contender's fight. So Dustin is going to have to make his decision. Is he just going to go do fun fights? Does he qualify for that yet? Is he there? And you're, you guys are the ones that have to put him there, but I've been in the arena with Dustin Poirier where the camera just, you know, they do the cameo. The camera just pops on him. His face pops up on the screen and that building has gone crazy. You guys love him. So maybe he does belong in that special category of which if he does, he's got a few more options. Come back to Gilbert Burns specifically. That's a contender's fight for anybody. You get over on Gilbert Burns at 170, you are going to have a huge and beautiful ranking. Dana has promised Gilbert Burns a big fight, which likely means a main event. So now you not only got to fight a guy in a ranking style, in a contender style fight, you got to fight him for 25 minutes. What happens if you beat him? It's not enough to get you the world title fight. It gets you a step closer. Now hold that thought. Because down at 55, if Dustin heeds my advice and says nothing, he lays out completely for just a few more weeks, 155 could be very different. If Justin Gaethje wins, don't forget those two fought and Dustin beat him. All of a sudden, Dustin is right back in the mix. And he may not draw into an immediate title fight. I know they're looking at Benny. They're looking at Islam. But I would suggest that he could be one away. Even if the winner of Benny Islam takes on the winner of Gaethje, Olivera, like, that that championship is not secured is what I'm trying to suggest for you. 155 is not secured. Gaethje's got a chance to go grab it, but then somebody else who's v- really good between Benny and Islam has a chance to grab it from Gaethje. If Oliveira gets over on, on Gaethje, that doesn't change. It's going to be very hard for Oliveira or anyone to hold onto that belt, and that's just fresh parity. That opens a whole new door without throwing a single punch. Without doing a single training camp, without doing a single weigh-in, without signing a single contract, it opens a whole new realm of possibilities for Dustin. And we're only a few weeks away. So if, if Dustin can just lay low for a minute, right? Like anybody, Dustin's got the right to see what his options are. He probably did not feel his ego bruised. He probably did not feel threatened that he was challenged by Gilbert Burns. Gilbert did everything right. Dustin went first. He threw his name out there. Gilbert did everything right. Came over the back of it, said, how about me? Basically, right? It also wouldn't be wrong to just wait three weeks because the options are going to be very different. Very different if Gaethje gets to win. So without doing anything, just laying back, I think that the path for Dustin for a championship is very different at 55 versus 70. If that's what Dustin still wants to do, he may just want to go and do what I'm just calling big fights, fun fights. You get in there with McGregor, there's no title on the line, but boy, is that going to matter. Dustin's last two fights, both were against McGregor, are also the biggest pay-per-views of the year for that year, just by example. And then you've got the Nate option, and that one's been very quiet lately. Dustin and Nate had all but agreed on social media to fight. It was was as though we were waiting on bout agreements and looking for a date. But that went very quiet. And the next time Dustin spoke, he was speaking about Connor. Connor did not respond. Now you got the Gilbert business. I mean, there's a lot of options, but things could change. I think that Dustin should lay out, keep his options open. Gilbert's still going to be there in three weeks, but a new opportunity might be there as well. Something to consider. I want to hear what you think. Coming up next, I'll discuss a past opponent of Poirier, and that's Justin Gaethje. That's in just a few, but first, let me tell you some more about today's sponsors. Guys, we are well into the spring season, the time of year we need to get our lawns looking good. Thankfully, Sunday gets your lawn growing and helps to keep it looking healthy all season long. Are you worried about the chemicals that you're using to keep your yard looking its best? Traditional lawn care lays down 90 million pounds of pesticides each year. Jeez, Sunday is different. Now you don't have to choose between having a beautiful yard and keeping your family out of harm's way. It may seem like a lot of work to keep your grass healthy and green all season. So let Sunday do the work for you. Sunday can help you grow a beautiful lawn. Without the guesswork or nasty chemicals, their custom plans include fertilizer and everything you need to easily care for your lawn with the ingredients like seaweed, iron, and molasses. You can feel good with kids and pets being around it. All you have to do is go visit sunday.com, put in your address, and their lawn analysis tool does the rest. They use your soil and climate data to create a personal nutrient plan, delivered to your door when you need it. Just attach the ready to use pouch to a garden hose and spray. It takes less than 15 minutes and best of all, this stuff really works. Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off. That's 20% off your custom plan at getsundaycom chao. Have you ever wondered how your favorite athletes ensure their grooming products are up to task? They use Hawthorne Steph Curry says he can't live without their body wash, and Zach Levine chose their quiz to tailor his perfect cologne. Hawthorne is a premium men's grooming brand that makes it quick and easy to be your best with confidence with skincare and hair care made just for you. They use data from hundreds of thousands of customers to recommend perfect products for your body chemistry, skin type, hair type, and lifestyle. So lean on Hawthorne to upgrade your body wash, shampoo, and deodorant. Let them recommend a face cleanser and moisturizer that elevates your game. And of course, they perfected the process to find the perfect cologne, all to make sure you truly look and feel the best for whatever comes your way. To get started, take Hawthorne's quiz. They're going to ask you things like, what's your skin type, dry, oily, normal? Are you a scent guy? It was actually really quick and easy. And to my surprise, I was pleased with their customized recommendations at the end of the quiz. I generally prefer a clean scent. I don't like heavy colognes. Hawthorne system recommended a fresh aquatic smelling cologne, which I personally thought was spot on. Hawthorne stands by their customers. So if you're not completely satisfied, they'll retail your products for free based on your feedback and pay for the shipping. So there's truly no risk. So get ready for whatever comes your way this season by taking Hawthorne's quiz today. Go to Hawthorne.co and use the promo code shail. That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. Use the promo code CHAIL. Is Justin Gaethje pissed off? Is this the first time we've ever seen angry Justin, or am I misinterpreting him? And it's very relevant. I've never seen Gaethje angry. I've never seen him emotional before a fight. I just haven't seen it. I've seen guys try to get under his skin. It's never worked. I've seen tries try to be his pal and buddy up to him to try to gain favor. Didn't work. I've seen tries try to be cute as a way of promoting a fight. Didn't change anything. But I've never seen Justin angry. I've never seen any emotion is what I'm trying to bring for you. And if he does have an emotion, including if it's anger, it'd be interesting to know before the fight. I'm never a huge believer. When an athlete changes something, it always makes me, wait, why did he do that? Why did he change? You do something different, you get something different. But that doesn't mean that it's always worse, in all fairness. Sometimes there's a recipe. There's a book written. It's called The Perfect Match. It influenced me greatly in my college years, but it just talked about go identify the perfect match that you've ever had, and you might have lost it. It doesn't have to be based on outcome. What was the best performance? And then you redo that day. What songs did you hear that day? How much did you sleep the night before? What did you wear? Who did you talk to, and what did you discuss? What did you weigh in at that day? What colors, what smells, what all do you remember? How long did you warm up? Who did you warm up with? What did you work on? And then you try to redo it. You try to redo that whatever whatever you identify as your perfect moment, but you don't you don't have all these different experiences. So Point that I'm getting at, just because Justin Gaethje has had an incredible career and he's done it without emotion does not mean that if he adds emotion for the first time, he's going to get an adverse result. It might be a better one, just one we haven't seen before. I'm bringing this to your attention. Because I never realized that Gaethje, I haven't personally heard one of these interviews. I have read things that he said. I get lost in translation there. Every law school in the country... Every student on the first day, no matter where you are, the professor, will come and tell the class the exact same story. Which is about a time that a police officer pulled somebody over and said, You've been drinking? And the guy responds, I've been drinking? And the police officer doesn't put a question mark. He puts a period. He goes to court. He reads the statement which says that the guy said, I have been drinking. Everybody learns this, right? There's a, Tone is everything. Context is everything. Not just the words. So I'm disclosing to you that I didn't hear Justin say these things, but I have read them. And Olivera got asked about this. Olivera must have read them too. And Olivera said, I'm I'm not going to fall for any of this mental BS that Justin's pulling. So whether Gaethje for the first time ever is angry, or if Olivera, much like Chael, is lost somewhere within translation, I'm just bringing to your guys' attention. What would have Gaethje upset? That's what's hard to imagine. Is it just the moment? Is it just the excitement? Is that just wanting to get his belt back? It's just wanting to get recognized? I haven't seen the line on this. I have seen... Let me, let me apologize. I have seen the line, except I've seen it twice and it moved. At one point, Gaethje was the favorite. At one point, Oliveira is the favorite. I do not know where it sits at right now. But being the underdog, is that what pissed Justin off? What was it? If he's angry... It's just a simple question by me, but anytime something is different, the performance generally is as well. And Gaethje was fighting Chandler on two fronts. Now, let me explain. When Gaethje fought Chandler, he was fighting two fights. One with Chandler, which was going to be really freaking hard and goes down as the fight of the year, possibly the greatest fight of all time. I forget constantly that Chandler did not win that fight, like both of these guys got standing ovations in the mecca of Madison Square Garden, very special performance. But the same time that Gaethje knew he had to deal with Chandler, Gaethje was taking on a fight in the media that even involved Daniel Cormier as to what a victory over Chandler should mean juxtaposed against a performance that Islam Makhachev had just had. Justin was fighting two things at once, his mind was in two different directions and he still put on arguably the greatest performance. Of his very special career. What could it be that Oliver has done? Because Oliver doesn't say anything. Oliver doesn't upset anybody. Doesn't even try. And I saw these statements by Gaethje. And it does appear that he's angry. I just don't know why. Angry at what? And fighters can manufacture something. Fighters can put something in their own head. fighter could have passed a guy in a hallway 10 years ago having no idea that they were going to cross paths and the guy didn't say hello to him when he said hi and he carried it with him forever. I had heat with a guy who I had never met, I'll leave his name out of it, but he was in a car headed to a hotel at a totally different fight that we were just both in. My friend Reese spilled orange juice in the car and said opponent of mine, yelled at my buddy Reese to clean up the orange juice. I lost my mind. Now what's that guy know? He do not know what I'm talking about. Maybe Reese was behaving like a buffoon and throwing orange juice all over the place. I don't know the story, but what I'm trying to share with you is you can convince yourself of just about anything. I had one hell of a rivalry with Anderson Silva that was absolutely as real as it gets. I never met the man. As I look back at younger Chael, you, you you get mad a little bit easy. Or maybe you get competitive a little bit easy. Or maybe you talk yourself into something. But I know that other fighters do it too. I wasn't unique. So I would be curious what Charles Oliveira could do. And if Justin Gaethje is trying to build heat, maybe that's why he made the statements that I'm speaking about. Maybe that's why it appears that he's angry. Maybe he's trying to build a little something. Oliver's not taking the bait. Where does this go? Look, nothing between these two guys but time and space. And as each second goes by, that time and space gets a little bit closer. Eventually, they're going to meet in that octagon. But leading into that fight, I think that it would behoove us, the viewer, not just to look forward to the spectacular entertainment, not just to look forward to the odds that keep changing, which means these guys are pretty damn close, at least in the mind of the better. But also, why is it important? What do they use for motivation? How do these guys get up? Very hard to become champion, much harder to stay champion. That goes from a motivation standpoint. Very hard to stay motivated to chase a goal and a dream of something you've already achieved. So all of these little details matter. All of these little details add to the story before they get locked in there. I'm bringing you this one and I'm bringing it to you in a form of a question, is Justin Gaethje pissed off? To close out today's show, I want to move from lightweight down to bantamweight. And I want to talk about the 135-pound champion. Is Algermaine Sterling the most disrespected UFC champion in history? I don't see anybody giving him what we call the props. I don't see anybody giving him quite the respect. Now, I see something different. I see a very rare talent. I really do. I see a young man who works hard and who believes in himself and appears to be very grounded. When I talked to Aljo just before his first ever title defense against Yon, I came and told you guys, I'm not sure that, that Aljo knows he's the champion. He appears and he's speaking from a tone with a hunger that the contender has. Because remember when I told you that? If you bet on Yon to win their second fight based on what you saw in their first, you're a very reasonable person. That, that bet makes a lot of sense. I saw what you guys saw. I saw Sterling fade, and I saw Jan coming on, and I saw a lot of minutes to go still in the fight. Okay. I talked to Sterling just before the fight. We were on spaces with MRI, in hearing the tone in Sterling's voice was very different, and he made a reveal for us, which is he said that was the worst performance of my life, and here's why. had nothing to do with how I prepared, had nothing to do with my strategy or game plan, had everything to do with my opponent the day before, known as the scale. He had a botched weight cut and or replenishment. Now, plenty of people have excuses for performance. I, in fact, I would put everybody has some kind of excuse slash reason, but it sounded different when Aljo said this. And I talked to you guys about that, and I did change my pick. And I did switch to Aljo. A lot of guys would say those things, but there was just something within his tone, something within his voice. I also submit for you, he very handily won three rounds, and he very cle- clearly gave two rounds away. If you can give, you're not even trying to win. You're not even trying to beat the guy in front of you. You're just trying to protect yourself and eat up clock. And you can give two rounds to somebody as frighteningly talented as Peter Yawn. There's something special there. Now, we can go back and revisit that mindset. And we can abort that strategy in the future. But either way, if that happens and your defensive skills are so good, that absent of an offense, you can still protect yourself at all times for 10 minutes with yawn. Wow, you're, you're pretty damn skilled. Period. So, Hudo is now back by example. So, Hudo's going right after Aljo. TJ Dillashaw is just about back, right? TJ had the injury. Was it a knee? Was it a shoulder? But TJ had the injury. He's now coming back and he says that Aljo is not championship quality. That he's going to come in and beat him. Now, if that's just to build a fight, which it very likely may be, no problem. I don't think that a, a contender or somebody building a fight, even the champion for that matter, owes us the truth. They owe us a entertaining story, an entertaining version of the truth. But we're still forced to look at it, and we're still forced to take them at their word. And for Dillashaw to come to the conclusion that Aljo is not worthy when they do have the common opponent, who is Sandhagen, At a minimum, anybody that saw Sandhagen versus Dillashaw will conclude that was a hard fight, really hard. It was a very close fight. Aljo versus Sandhagen was anything but that. It was one takedown to one position to a tap, and we all got up and go home, and that was like 41 seconds long. So, the common opponent, I I think that it would be a stretch for TJ to really feel that in his heart. But you got TJ coming after Aljo, which is a very interesting fight. I do like that. You have Cejudo coming after Aljo. I like that too. Cejudo gave us one piece of information. He said, I spoke with the UFC last week. I will be ready to return in six months. Why six months? Is that a USADA six months? Because there is some red tape there. And to my understanding, of the rules, at least the way they used to be, is Henry would have to wait for four. Or does he need, is Henry talking about six months to get back into shape? Because that would be a big clue. If you needed six months to get back into shape, that would mean that you got pretty out of shape considering a regular training camp is anywhere from eight to 10 weeks. Some guys will go as far as 12. And I got to use training camp with quotations. I don't fully know what that means, but guys throw the term out there all the time. And I ended up doing it myself at some point in my career. Every single day, I did the same thing. But when I went into this this camp, I would actually take out my phone and I would put in the calendar, camp begins. And it was just a different level of intensity. If I was tired, I wouldn't stop. If I was on bottom... I wouldn't stay there. I would just get up. But it was a different state of mind. So when Henry says six months, what is Henry telling us? Is that in USADA six months? Or is he not in shape and he needs half of a year to get ready? Either way, it's tough to say I need six months and I want Sterling. I can't imagine Sterling, who happens to be the champion and is a prize fighter, is going to be able to grant you that wish. Sterling's got to go out there and look for opponents. He's got to look for them right now. I think he has two that are very meaningful, and I just lay them out for you. TJ Dillashaw, Henry Cejudo. Any way you want to do it, any order you want to do it in, I think that's a very strong round robin. One thing all three of those killers have in common is they all were champions of the world at 135 pounds, right? I mean, that that's murders row. Very tough. But can they accommodate? Can the timelines accommodate? I'm going to imagine that Aldo, who would like to get back in there, but I don't know of who to suggest for you he should do that with. For a period of time, I thought that it was Rob Font. I still think that Ricky Simone is on a hell of a roll, but Ricky's got another fight coming up. He's booked. Possibly that's the one that pushes Ricky over the edge, but if that starts to extend time-wise, it brings you closer to what Henry's saying to that six-month, and where's T.J. Dillard? I mean, it's just one of these things. It's one of these things where I don't know that anybody is fully wanting to give Sterling his credit. I'm confused as to why. I will admit for you, when Sterling had his way with Sandhagen, I did not credit Sterling. I thought that was a deficit in exposure of Sandhagen. I don't think that now. Now that I see how good Sterling is and the mastery of that position he has, getting on your back, putting the legs in, keeping you there. Now that I see, because of the Yon fight, how good Sterling is in that position, I now do give him the credit, and I don't take it against Sandhagen, but it's just, I'm just suggesting for you. It's one of these very interesting things, where how do you look down on a guy who's not only become the champion of the world, he's even defended it. Not to mention, he did it against a very hard opponent, right? Like, everybody wants to get Sterling, but that's because everybody wants a title shot, everybody wants the money that comes with it, the attention, the main event, the opportunity, I understand those things. Are you willing to earn it? Are you willing to go through Peter Yon? A lot of people are calling out Alja. I get why. So do you. But they're not calling out guys in that division that are weaker than Sterling. They're just maintaining that Sterling's weak. If Sterling's so weak, then you would have no problem dealing with somebody who he's dealt with not once but twice in Peter Jan. It's one, right? It's a tough spot, and that division's at a very tough place. And Jan looked like in, in the month leading up to this fight, like he was finally starting to get it. Some of his statements, some of his social media, even if he wasn't pushing the buttons, even if he gave his code to somebody else, either way, you get the credit. You can always have somebody speak for you, but you're responsible for the stupid stuff that they say. But it goes the other way, too. You can get the bounce as well. He looked like he was getting it, but post-fight, he's done a little bit of a surreal god, which is going to bury his head in the sand. I think whatever's next is going to be very interesting for Jan. And I will tell you, at 135 pounds, historically speaking, that is musical chairs with the title. It's musical chairs because the division is so damn hard. It really is. It's very tough. You have more world champions floating around right now, 135 pounds, than any division in the sport right now, but also than any division in the history of the sport. Dominic Cruz still rocking and raring to go. World champion. Jose Aldo still ready to go on a pretty nice streak, World champion. That's five off the top of my head. When you add Sterling in there, you add Cejudo, you add Dillashaw. Am I forgetting one? Maybe. You have five world champions all in one division. I think that division deserves a little bit more attention. I just think that it's improbability that you could go to any equation and come to the conclusion that the sitting champion of a division that has more world champions than any in history is anything short of awesome. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and for continuing to leave reviews like this one from Phil who says, great show, undefeated, undisputed. Well, thank you, Phil. And thanks to the rest of you for listening. I hope you come back for more on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.